Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. Listen now for God's Word. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, sad, still looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some of the women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and they had in, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe that all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while, we were while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known how, how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. The walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus was about a seven-mile journey. So it's a bit of a hike, right? It's, you've got some time on that road as you're walking, and, and these two followers, these two disciples, are just kind of stewing over the events of the past few days. This is Easter Sunday still, and it's all fresh in their minds, remembering the hope they once had that had now been lost. Now, I can give them 
a bit of a pass for their initial confusion and despair. I can understand why they would be so heartbroken and confused over the death of the one that they hoped would be the Messiah at first. All their hopes and dreams had been dashed as far as they knew because in their minds the Messiah was not supposed to die. He was supposed to be victorious. So it makes sense that initially they would be distraught. But, but now, even, even after hearing about, from the woman, the women about the tomb, the empty tomb, and that the angels had told them that he had been risen from the dead, and these two are still in mourning, still struggling to come to terms with what God is doing in their midst, still having trouble believing the promise because it was reported to them by women. They said, we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. But apparently, we were wrong. Never mind what those women said. I mean, we, we went back, we sent some men back to check it out, and all they found was a lousy empty tomb. So, clearly their minds aren't quite right. They're so blinded by the ideas of, of who they thought Jesus was, or was supposed to be, that they couldn't even recognize him when he's literally standing right beside them, carrying on a conversation with them about himself. But I love how Jesus plays this here. I love, I love how he handles the situation. You can tell he's a little bit frustrated at their continued stubbornness, stubbornness and their misunderstanding and laments their foolishness and their slow-heartedness. But even in his frustration, he takes the time to walk with them and walk them through the scriptures about from the very beginning about how they've always been pointing to him. Again, with them being completely unaware the entire time that he is the one about whom they have been speaking this entire time. To be a fly on the wall of that conversation, right? That would just be, to, to, to be able to read through the scriptures with Christ like that, uh, in the flesh, in that way, must have been an incredibly powerful experience, even if they didn't quite get just yet who he was. It's hard to say exactly for sure what it was that kept them from recognizing Christ on that day. It, it may have been that, that God kept them from recognizing Jesus. Luke simply tells us that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Was it something within themselves that kept them from recognizing him? We don't know. Luke doesn't state it explicitly. But, but I do, it, it does cause me to think about all of the times in my own life that I've probably missed opportunities to see and encounter Jesus in very real and profound and powerful ways. That I missed those opportunities because my eyes were kept from it. Because of my own issues. Because of my own concerns. Perhaps because of my own busyness. An inability to slow down and listen and see. Perhaps because of my own insecurities or anxieties about what's going on. Uh, perhaps because of, of grief or sulking on these lost hopes, these things that I had hoped would happen but did not. Or perhaps because of my unwillingness to see the face of Christ in unexpected ways and in unexpected people. Jesus always seems to show up in the most unexpected times and places, doesn't he? I mean, who are these two people that he shows up to anyway? They, they don't seem to be very important 
figures in, in the New Testament. It's just Cleopas and someone else who's walking along with them. And those are the two that he shows up to for some unknown reason. So perhaps we should begin to expect to meet Christ in the most unexpected places and the most unexpected times. But of course, it's one thing to say that, and it's another to actually be able to do it, because after all, if we could truly expect the unexpected, then it wouldn't really be unexpected, would it? And again, I mean, we, we can so easily get caught up in the busyness of our own lives and this daily routine that we have that, that it's so easy to miss these things, that we can pass by these burning bushes without even knowing it every day. But notice that, that even though they didn't recognize him, even though they didn't know that he was, in fact, Jesus, that even though they were not aware of his presence with them, he was indeed present all the same. That their inability to recognize Christ did not make his presence with them any less real. In fact, later, when they finally do recognize him and realize that it's been him the entire time, they realize that there was something different about how they felt when they were with him, that there was some strange warmth that they felt in their hearts the entire time. Christ is with us, even when we can't see his face, even when we struggle to hear his voice. And our own inability to recognize him doesn't make his presence with us any less real. Jesus promised to be with us to the end of the age, and Jesus intends to keep his promises. But I think what I love most about this story is that when they finally make it to Emmaus, Jesus is just going to keep on walking, right? He's going to let them just go home and go about their business, not ever revealing his true nature. I don't know if, if he was going to try to find some other people to talk to, um, you know, talk to the Bible about or, or whatever, but, but they do stop him. They insist. They strongly insist. You know, come join us. Come stay with us. It's getting late. So they invite him in. And remember, this is the guy who just called them foolish and slow of heart. Uh, I don't know about you, but when someone calls me a fool, my first instinct is not to invite him over for dinner. But perhaps it should be. That's what these disciples do. Because... Even though they are a bit foolish and a bit slow of heart, they had learned to practice hospitality. They had learned it from the master of hospitality himself, the one who dined with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. And it's because of this hospitality that they practice that they are able to come to recognize the man that was walking with them as their risen Lord. Imagine if, if they didn't insist that he stay with them, they may never have fully understood what took place that day. They, they, they knew that they had some kind of strange, warm feeling with, within their hearts, but, but that would have been it. If they didn't invite him in, they simply would have chalked it up to being some kind of odd encounter with this stranger on the, on the road. A stranger who gave them perhaps some hope, perhaps some new insight into the scriptures, but, but that was it. But because they treated this stranger like a friend, they were able to meet Jesus that day. So they sit down for dinner, and Jesus takes the bread. He blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it to them. Does that sound familiar at all? And this is the moment that their eyes are open. This is the moment they finally recognize him for who he is 
And this is very intentionally Eucharistic language. It, it's supposed to remind us of the Lord's Supper, the taking, the blessing, the breaking, and the giving. But we should also recognize that though this should remind us of the Lord's Supper, this, what they're doing, is not the Lord's Supper, right? Jesus didn't say, okay guys, sit down, let's take communion together. He didn't repeat the words of institution. This wasn't officially sanctioned by the session. There were no elders there to help serve. This was just a normal meal. They just sat down for supper together. And it was in their breaking of the bread together that Christ was revealed to them. This was just a simple meal, nothing special about it. But by sitting down to share a meal together, their eyes were opened, and the truth of their companion was re revealed to them. I think folks in the church should count this as a particularly, uh, this story is particularly good news, considering how much we love to eat together, right? And I can attest that some of the dishes I have had here at this church have really helped reveal the true nature of Christ to me in many, many ways. <laughs> Especially Miss Jenny Lou's Presbyterian Punch. But it, it really is the special experience, right, to, to be able to sit down together with your, your families at home or our church family to break bread together and to recognize the very real presence of Christ in our midst when we break bread together. I mean, Mary and I have been so blessed by, by doing these birthday dinners each month, by bringing people uh, into the manse, into our home, and, and sharing stories with each other, getting to know each other better, breaking bread together, laughing together, and observing the ways that God is at work in each of our lives. It's been incredibly powerful. I mean, aside from it just being simply a nice way to get to know each other better, it's, it has revealed for us in very real ways, Christ's presence in our midst. There's something that's just so holy and sacred about sitting around a table and sharing food. It's such a simple, mundane act. I mean, we, we do it every day, a few times a day, right? We have to. We need to do it to survive. But occasionally, our meals take on special significance for us, become a place for us where we can recognize that the risen Lord is in our midst. That when we break bread together, that is where Christ is found. In fact, this is essentially how the practice of the Lord's Supper uh, came to be in the first place. Right? The, the, the earliest Christians, they would reenact the Lord's Supper by literally sharing a meal together, by sitting down at table and having a meal together. I mean, it was truly a supper for them a common meal as a part of their worship. But over time, they began to realize that, like these two disciples, that Christ was present with them during that meal in some kind of transcendent and mysterious way, that there was something about breaking that bread together that, that was a holy and sacred moment for them. And then the meal became somewhat formalized, and there was liturgy formed around it. Um, and, and there was... Uh, there were kind of there were boundaries placed around it, to a structure. This is how we observe this meal, and it became understood to be this incredibly holy and sacred moment. And then, of course, we started to prescribe who who could take of it and who could not, and who was in and who was out, and things got things unraveled a little bit. But 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 all it was always still this this great and holy holy place. We fashioned ourselves a bit as the mediators of Christ's presence drawing clear lines, but nonetheless, what we see 
in this meal shared by Christ with these two disciples is that Christ can be present in very powerful ways beyond our rituals, outside the walls of the church, even in our homes, when we extend hospitality to others, when we invite people into our homes. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I love communion. I love the Lord's Supper. I love the ritual of it, even. I think it has incredible value, and it is incredibly holy and sacred. But we must also remember to keep our eyes open to seeing Christ even in the mundane acts, even in the simple meals that we share with each other on a daily basis, and the ordinary places of our lives. Christ is indeed present as well in our everyday interactions and activities. So in, in a moment, we're, we're getting ready to sing our closing hymn, Open My Eyes That I May See. So may that be our prayer for this day that God would indeed open our eyes and see the places where Christ is already present. See the places where Christ is already walking with us, going before us, preparing a way for us. And whenever we break bread together, may we remember that that is where Christ is found, and that is where Christ is revealed. Amen.